Before we do anything tonight, there are two UGA giants who left our world since we last played a game in Sanford Stadium, and we all know who they are. But it bears remembering the legacy that they left and the gravity that these two men generated is enormous to the point of being arguably immeasurable. And the first was Charlie Trippy. He lived to the ripe old age of 100. And in those years, he accomplished feats in the athletic arena that are so ridiculous, they sound made up. His bio his, is huge. Um, I'm just going to read to you a few of his stats. At UGA, he was known as a quintuple threat. That's five things. You'll never hear someone spoken of as a quintuple threat in today's game. Though He was a football player. He was a beast with the ball, running, catching, passing, punting, and playing defense. He played the positions of quarterback, running back, defensive back, punter, and return specialist. In 1942, he played along with Frank Sinkwich, and they led Georgia to a 75-0 victory over Florida. And in that game, Trippy threw a TD pass. He rushed for two TDs, and he had a pick six. That season, of course, Georgia won their first natty. And he had a great career, but in 1944, he took a break. He took a break to go fight in World War II. And when he came back, he was the MVP of the Rose Bowl, which Georgia won. He won the Maxwell Award as the nation's best player. He was SEC Player of the Year. He was a unanimous first-team All-American. He was the first player selected in the first round of the 1945 NFL Draft. And it is worth noting that there were a lot of Major League Baseball teams that tried to talk him out of playing professional football, but he chose football. In 1947, he led Chicago to victory in the NFL Championship game. Between football seasons, he didn't take a break. He would go back to Georgia and coach the baseball team. He's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's in the NFL Hall of Fame where he is the only player to ever achieve the feat of having 1,000 yards each receiving, passing, and rushing, which is crazy. His number 62 jersey is, of course, retired. I mean, his statistics are so gaudy that they're like something out of a comic book. They, they don't even seem possible. Like, they can't be real, but they are real, very real. And so whatever you got in your glass right now, you should pour some out for the truly great and truly legendary Charlie Trippy because he deserves it, because he earned it. A damn good dog to his core. Charles Lewis Trippy, may you rest in peace, sir. The other dog that we lost, before we could even fully process the loss of Charlie Trippy, was another legendary damn good dog, and that is, of course, Vincent Joseph Dooley. Vince Dooley was born in Mobile, Alabama, and he played football for Auburn, as many of you know. After that, after his playing days were over, he went on to become a coach at Auburn. And after that, in 1963, he was appointed the head football coach at the University of Georgia. And in 1963, Vince Dooley was 31 years old. I don't know about you. I'm 52. I can't fathom being the University of Georgia football coach really at any age, much less at the age of 31. Think about what you were doing at the age of 31. Could you even begin to imagine being the head coach of anywhere, much less the University of Georgia? That's what he did at 31 years young, UGA head football coach. It's astounding. He went on to coach 
for 25 years, as we know, becoming the all-time winningest coach at Georgia, led our dogs to a national championship in 1980 in the Sugar Bowl against Notre Dame. And when he retired, he was the second winningest coach in the SEC behind only Paul Bear Bryant. It is also well worth noting that he became our AD and was our AD for 25 years. And there was a 10-year stretch in there where he was not only the head coach, he was also the AD, which is something that is unheard of these days, doing both of those jobs at once. He has more Coach of the Year awards than I've got time to name. He is a man who you ask anybody that knew him, played for him, ever met him, said he was a prince of a guy, absolutely genuine, authentic, you know, humble, would spend as much time with you as he could, um, beloved by all, revered by all, a family man who is missed dearly by his wife, Barbara. And so take whatever is left in that glass and pour that out for Vince Dooley because just like Charlie Trippy, he deserves it because he earned it. And this Saturday in Athens is going to be different than any Saturday in the last 60 years because this Saturday, for the first time in 60 years, Vince Dooley won't be in the house. But his spirit will be felt and his legacy will be felt and the emotion of his spiritual presence will be felt. It will be palpable to the point of being tangible. You'll feel it in the air. You'll feel it in your bulldog bones. So rest in peace and harmony, Vince Dooley. You will be missed by a nation of dogs, including me. It's time for the Mad Dog Show. Coming to you live from the Park Group studio in the heart of the Bulldog Nation. The Mad Dog Show is proudly sponsored by The Sanford Company, Ventures Barbecue, Sellers Construction, Go Clean Co., Cherokee Brick, Progressive Communications, J. Lee Attorney at Law, Ortho Georgia, Pelicano Construction, Jags Pizzeria and Pub, Biv Distributing, The Butler Auto Group, The Park Group, Corporate Connection, The Dog Bone, and Bulldog Illustrated. Now, here he is, your host, The Mad rankings just came out and I'm out of my chair for maybe the first time ever. I mean, what in the freaking world just happened here? I've always wanted to throw my headset like a coach. I just did. So we just arbitrarily, we just magically went from number one to number three over nothing. Nothing happened. No games were played. Just some committee of nobodies in nowhere, Texas just decided, hey, we just think that Tennessee's better. Great. Fine. I get that. They've got a better resume than do. They do. They've played Alabama. They beat Alabama. They beat LSU at LSU. But Ohio State, who have they played? They have played nobody. They have played Penn State, an average Penn State team who fumbled and intercepted that game away. They have played nobody. They will continue to play nobody until they play Michigan, who has also played nobody. Matter of fact, the person that should be the most pissed off are Alabama fans because Alabama almost beat Tennessee in Tennessee, but they missed a kick. Otherwise, they're number one, but now they're all the way back at six. Somehow, because they missed a kick, 
They went from being one of the best teams in the country to sixth. They're behind Clemson. They're behind Michigan. Two teams that have played nobody. This whole system is a joke, a bad joke. It's a farce. It makes no sense. You know who we should let decide who's number one? We should let Las Vegas decide it because they're the ones who use numbers and science and analytics, and they run simulations of games 10,000 times. They don't use their feelings and emotions. Name one person on this committee. Name one. You can't do it because I can't do it. You could go to anybody on the street. They can't name anybody on this committee. They have no credibility. They should be disbanded, but they're not going to be disbanded. You're not going to be able to get away from them because when we go to a 12-team schedule, a 12-team playoff, they're still going to be there. They're still going to be there using their eye test and brains that don't know anything about the game of college football to pick who gets to go, and I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it, but there's only one way to fix it. And we're going to fix it on Saturday in Sanford Stadium on Dooley Field when the dogs show up. And we will all stand united in red and black this Saturday, howling our heads off for our dogs and Vince Dooley's honor and barking our brains out for our dogs because Tennessee's in town and it's time to get up and to get down because it's going to be victory for Vince. Let's do it for Dooley, dog. Got it? <laughs> The Mad Dog Injury Report with Dr. Ryan Schnetzer. And we are back with Dr. Ryan Schnetzer, and it is a somber injury report, I think, with the news of Nolan Smith being out for the year, unfortunately. Yeah, that was big news that came out today. You know, we didn't really know the extent of his injury after the game on Saturday. We just kind of knew it was a shoulder, kind of upper extremity injury. Uh, I was hoping that it would be just like a separated shoulder or something, something minor, like sprain, something that would, you know, just maybe limit him a little bit, but allow him to come back this year. Uh, and then we get the news today that it's a uh, torn uh, pectoral muscle in the chest, uh, which is mainly the biggest muscle in the chest. That's the muscle when you're doing like a bench press. Uh, so that's, the, that's the main muscle that you're using. Uh, a pretty significant injury does require surgery to fix. I think they said he's going to be undergoing surgery in the near future to fix it. Um, you know, we got we got to wish him the best of luck. You know, this, this is a guy that's put his heart and soul into this team and, um, you know, came back and was, was looking to play, looking to make a move. Um, obviously, he's going to play it at the next level. Uh, so we want him to get better and get back and uh, and do what he can uh, and show what kind of talent he has at the, at the next level. But I think, you know, I think we've seen the last of, uh, of Nolan and in, in, in the red and black. Uh, so we got to wish him well and, uh, and a speedy recovery. Yeah, it's just such a, a terrible way for him to end such a great career at Georgia. And, yeah. You know, uh, such a great on the field, great leader. Um, He's just a good person, man. I've met him a few times. I mean, he's just, just, a, just a good guy. I mean, that, yeah. By yeah. all accounts, everybody says the same thing about him. Mm -hmm. Total class act. And definitely not the way you want to go out. But, you know, that doesn't mean that he can't still be a leader in that locker room. Yeah, I certainly expect that. I, I think we're going to see him on the field uh, there on the sidelines, getting these guys ready. I think you're, I think the coaches are going to have him there. He'll be in the meetings. He'll still be there, you know, getting these younger guys ready, getting these guys that got to step up and make the plays. Um, so I think he's going to still be there. He's, he's going to be an emotional leader now. We're not going to see him leader out there on the field, but I see him on the sideline in the locker rooms. He's going to, he's going to be there and he's going to be pushing these kids through. All right. So we've got that bad news. We mm -hmm. got. Good news seeing Jalen Carter back. 
Yeah, yeah, I got in. I think he played about 20 snaps or so. That I did a pretty good job in there. You know, got a little pressure on there, saw some runs. Um, looked good out there. I think, you know, uh, he didn't have to play a whole lot. I mean, I think we played pretty well on defense. You know, we struggled, had a little little rough third quarter there on both offense and defense. Um, but we were able to turn that around. So, you know, hopefully, you know, the limited snaps he still gives him a little bit of rest. But got him out there, got him moving again. Um, give him a little more rest this week and come out there for, for a big game Saturday. So going from that positive development, flipping back to the negative development that A.D. Mitchell did not dress out. I've had so many people ask me about that. They've said, put Dr. Snetzer in a headlock and force him to tell you when we will see him again because it's starting to feel like pickings. Like we're just yeah, no, it just keeps on dragging out, you know. Uh, you know, I saw him on the sideline Saturday, and I was, you know, I was right there behind the, the sideline and saw him, you know, he's in a jersey, no pads. I was like, you know, what's going on? You know, I certainly expected him to, to be back after an off week. Um, you know, but obviously he's still just not able to do what he needs to do on, on that ankle. Um, you know, hope, hopefully he can get out there and, and make some plays for us this week. We certainly are going to need him. You know, heaven forbid we get into a shootout, but if we do, we're going to need everybody we got out there. So, um, was there any kind of noticeable limp when he was walking? Because I know you're watching. I, you know, I saw him walking around on the sideline. I did not notice anything. So, you know, I'm certain he probably had it wrapped up underneath, you know, underneath his socks there. But, I mean, I didn't notice anything, you know, per se. I mean, he was obviously wasn't running or and pushing on it. You know, it's one thing to be walking up and down the sideline. There's nothing to be running and making cuts, you know, and really stressing it. Um, you know, maybe they, you know, maybe they just really wanted to give him one more week. You know, we, we obviously, we could have, we certainly could have used him, but we didn't obviously, we obviously didn't need him on Saturday, but I think this week's a game where we're going to need, we're going to need everybody we got, you know, we're going to need everybody to step up. And like I said, we don't want to be in a shootout, but you know, that could certainly happen on Saturday, the way Tennessee has been putting up points this year. Uh, and if that, if that comes down, we're going to need these receivers to really, uh, really step up and make some plays for us. Well, I wanted to ask you as a, as a player from a strategy standpoint, is it possible that the coaches would say, okay, we don't need him to win. We don't even want to give him the opportunity to tweak something and warm up. We want to completely rest this thing. It's going to be treatment only, you know, for the Florida week. Continue treatment and just try and get him back with Tennessee week. Is that possible? I mean, it certainly is possible, right? I mean, I think if they don't think he's 100%, he can get out there and, and make the plays, and they're going to hold him out, especially if they think they can take care of the business with what they have, right? And, and that shows. I mean, we've got great young receivers there. I mean, we got some tight ends that, I mean, I, I – I, 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 I dare you to find somebody that can cover them. I mean, you, when you got Brock Bowers in there and, and you got Gilbert and you put Darnell out there, I mean, I mean, those, those just create matchup nightmares for a defense, you know. Uh, and I think we still we still haven't even tapped into their full potential of what we can do offensively with our tight ends. Um, so I got to think that, you know, they kind of game plan around what we have and, you know, and so he said, hey, look, you know, we can get this done without him. Let's let him get his full – let's let him get back 100% and get back going again. You know, let him feel confident on that ankle and he can get back and make the plays that we needed to make. Is it the kind of injury like, okay, if he's at 90%, he still can't play because at 90% you risk re-injuring. Does he have to be back to 100%? You know, it's hard to say with that. You know, some, sometimes you certainly say, I mean, if he can't make if, – if he's 90%, does that still mean he can make the cuts and does everything that he needs to do? Um, and if he can't, then I think you hold him out. Um, I think if he's got to be a hundred percent, he's because I mean, as a receiver, I mean, you've got to make those moves. If you're not making those moves, you're not getting open. You're right. not doing anybody any good. Right. So I think you, you want to get him out there and, and we don't know if it's a 90% or if it's an 80%, but we know he's got to be able to make those, those cuts and make those moves out there. 
uh, to get open and, and get off these pressure defenses. So ask that question a different way. Could you treat it like a pickings where they had them on a pitch count and they were like, all right, you're getting this game, you're getting 20 plays. Can you do that with a high ankle? Is that only a technique for, you know, an ACL? Uh, you know, I think it, it's hard to say for a high ankle sprain. I think you either have it or you don't, you mm -hmm. know, that's going to be my thing. Like either you can get out there and you can play or you can't. Um, so I really don't know if there's like a pitch count per se or a play count for them. Um, but, you know, you also, as, as those legs and the, those muscles that are supporting that ankle fatigue, then that could lead to, you know, re-injury. So, you know, in that way, you might be able to say, hey, maybe we should, but I feel like it's one of those things like either you can or you can't. Yeah. Well, moving along and circling back to Nolan uh, and potentially people that could help, you know, Chaz Chambliss was the first guy in last week. Yep, made a big play, had a sack. And then on that sack, he came out grabbing his hamstring, which has been giving him problems. Yeah, he's been he's been limited by that a little bit, and so you know, you know that's one of those things that you know you can compete at ninety percent. I think you know it's just one of those things, kind of a nagging thing, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, you know. So hopefully, you know, get him some treatment, get that stretched out, and and get him back out there because um, we're definitely going to need him with Nolan being out now. I think it's going to take a village. I think it's going to be defense by committee. I think Kirby and them are going to be throwing a bunch of different looks at Booker that he hadn't seen, yep. especially because Kirby said you can't throw anything at Tennessee that they haven't seen, which to me tells me that's exactly what he's going to try and do. Right. Throw different looks, different schemes, throw the kitchen sink at him. Yeah, I mean, and Booker, I mean, how old is he? What, like 24 years old? I mean, he's been there. He's been yeah, there for a long time. He's yeah, seen he's like, a lot, yeah. right? So, you know, we got to throw stuff at them. The main thing is we just got to do our job. You know, if, if we do our job, if you watch these Tennessee games and I know you watch that Alabama game and you watch the Kentucky game, you know, a lot of their touchdowns are in this guy. He, he's wide open. It's defensive breakdown. And yes, I mean, t Tennessee's scheming good against their defense, but a lot of these have been defensive breakdowns. It's not like he's catching the ball and breaking 10 tackles and, and outrunning everybody. I mean, he, he's catching them wide open on the run. And there, so I, you know, I think we can. He tells you guys, look, play your job, do your position, play your position, do your job, you know, do this scheme. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna get you in the right place. Let's just stay there, and 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 do your job. I mean, that's the main thing, right? Yeah, you're you're right. I mean, it's 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 schemes. It's getting a wide out on a linebacker, and then it's busted coverages, and it's just okay. What is their secret to busting coverages? Because they're busting everybody's coverages. Is it just yeah? They are. They're busting. That's for that's for sure. They're they're, they're scheming him to get in open places, and so um, you know, I, you know, I watched the Alabama game, and I I can't believe that they didn't tell their safety to the the stay back. I mean, he let him run by. Him. I mean, he let that guy run by him at least four or five times. Right. You know, I understand that the first time, but I mean, the second, the third, and the fourth time, I was like, hey man. This guy's going deep. Like you don't let him get behind you. Um, and 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 obviously they didn't because or he just didn't listen because it didn't work. Um, but, it was Saban's absolute worst nightmare as a really defense, as, as a defensive backs guy. I mean, that's no yeah. game could be any worse for him than that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, you know, I'm excited. I am fired about Saturday. I think you know we can certainly. I mean, can they beat us? Yes, that they, they could. They can beat us. They got enough talent, but. If we come out and do what we need to do and we make the plays we, we can make, there's nobody out there's nobody that we're gonna play that's got more talent than we have. So I agree. Um, you know, we do you know we have some injuries, everybody has some injuries. 
Um, but we, I mean, we're just loaded with talent behind them. These guys just, they're young. They got to get out there. They got to get the reps and they got to make the plays, right? It's time to step up. You know, we're, you know, going into week, week 10, week nine, whatever it is. Um, and it's time to make, uh, make some plays. It's time to make some plays. And it never hurts when you got a team that's, you know, got what, 20 seconds between plays. They're going to gas your defense. When you get the ball, you need to control it. You control it by running it down their throat. You know, you can't do three and out. Yeah, and as an offensive lineman, you know, you know, I, there's nothing I like more than to run the ball right at somebody. You know, right. We're, we're going to put our hand on the ground, and uh, we're going to come right at you, and uh, we're going to see who's, who's who's got more, who's got more willpower, who's the better man. We're, we're going to come right down your face. Uh, so, well, nothing I would like more than to see us just run right over them. Uh, so, you know, who knows what the game plan is going to be, uh, but. You know, I know these coaches, they, they've been doing this for, for a long time. They know what to do. They're going to have those players ready. Um, they're going to be fired up. That place is going to be electric on Saturday. Uh, great atmosphere. I mean, it's, gonna, it's a good time to be a dog fan, a good time to be in Athens. I'm failing at my job because I don't know specifically where their run defense ranks. Do you know? I mean, I, I haven't heard anything about their run defense. I know, like, I know they like to bring pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, no, I don't know, like, rankings-wise where they are. Um, I mean, obviously they get. I mean, they gave up points. I mean, Alabama scored forty nine against them. I mean, right. it was a, just a pure shootout. Right. You know, they they did stymie Kentucky a little bit. I think Kentucky's got a lot of injuries. You know, the quarterback's been hurt. They've got a lot of people out. Mm -hmm. So you know, you you can take that game for what it's worth. It was also a home game. And look, man, they've played all their big games at home. This is their first time coming out of Neyland Stadium with a big opponent, right? They're going to be in hostile territory. These guys haven't been there this year, right? They had Florida at home. They had Alabama at home. They had Kentucky at home. All right, I mean, they're coming to Athens this time. They're coming to our house. Um, so, you know, we're going to be loud. They're, they're not going to know what's going on. You know, we're going to have a little – hopefully we can confuse them, just keep keep the noise level going so they have a hard time communicating. Um, you know, and, and they haven't really had to experience that yet. And, you know, what they do, they are – you know, they're a senior-led team, but it's still – it's tough that first time getting back on the road and getting there again. I mean, it's uh, – I, mean, I remember going to LSU on a, on a, on a 3.30 game. They were number three. I think we were number five. I mean, I was playing guard that game, and I was ear to ear or face to face, face mask to face mask with the center, trying to tell him what we were changing the play to, and he had no idea what, what I said. Wow! All right, and so and I fully expect Stanford State to be that loud on Saturday. All right, I mean, you know, Kirby's asking for it. Everybody's asking for it. I think everybody. I think you know, as fans, we need to answer. I mean, you just remember how loud it was in Arkansas, and I think it's going to be louder than that. Uh, yeah, I fully expect it to be louder than that. We were fired. That Arkansas game was a big game for us last year. We came out and beat them pretty good, and it was especially early in that game. It was it was very loud. Um, yeah, I fully expect it to be as 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 loud as it has ever been. Um, I think I think we can we can be be that that way on Saturday, and probably louder than we've ever been. Agree. Are there any other injuries that we need to go over? You know, we have, you know, a couple of guys were coming off. You know, I think Milton, the, yeah. I don't think he, he played on, on Saturday. So I think we're still kind of waiting on him with, with the quad injury. Um, you know, I think that was really the, the main main one there. We kind of touched it. You know, the, obviously the, the biggest news was was, uh, was Nolan being out, which just, you know, just, you know, you just feel bad for him. You know, you really do. Just couldn't happen to a better person. And yeah. for that to happen to him, I mean, you're like, man, 
I mean, he's he's poured his heart and soul into this program, and, and for that to happen to be gone, yeah. um, I still fully, like I said, fully expect him to be there leading us. Get well soon, Nolan. Get well soon. You're a DGD. All right, Ryan. I hope to see you up in Athens, my friend. Yes, sir. See you there Saturday. All right, go dogs. Go dogs. It's time for some stats that matter with Bert Hodges from thedogbone.com. And we now have Bert Hodges back with the dog bone and giving us some stats that matter. What's going on, Bert? Mad Dog, how you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm already nervous for the weekend, man. <laughs> so uh, one thing that I was thinking coming out of the Florida game that nobody's really discussed is we have now officially passed the two-year mark in undefeated regular season games. Wow. Yes. That is crazy. So our last loss in a regular season game was the 2020 Florida COVID loss. That's, that's mind-blowing, really. I have not thought about that. Yeah, if somebody had told us after that game that we will go the next two years without losing a regular season game, there's no way I would have believed them. And after that game with Stetson as quarterback, you know, if you'd have said, yeah, not only that, but you're going to win a national championship with him. <laughs> Nobody Stetson's quarterback where he threw he throws the pass over the middle to Rosemary Jackson, plays air guitar in the middle of the field, gets his shoulder banged up on that play, and then everything fell apart after that. Yeah, I forgot about the air guitar. <laughs> he got his shoulder banged up on that play, air guitar, and then everything fell apart from there on. Yeah. Oh, that's good. you got a great memory. Well, I just remember it because I was thinking, wow, that is awfully um, bold of him to play air guitar in the middle of the field when we're probably not going to win this game. Yeah, yeah. So, hey, he, no one has ever said he lacks for confidence. Nobody has ever said that. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah. And most of the times that works is advantage. Sometimes it doesn't. Though. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, man, I'm excited to hear what you've dug up for us. So a few things that I was, I was digging through and there's, there's one stat I couldn't find. And we can go ahead and talk about that because um, I don't really have anything to show for it, but Looking at Tennessee for this week, um, I had read something somewhere about Tennessee and their offense, and they have you know a unique offense where once they snap the ball, run the play, they're right up to the line, they run the next play. Well, their whole offense and them scoring is predicated on first down success. So they need to get at least four yards on first down in order to get that drive going because they're like a freight train. Once they get moving, they're super hard to stop. But if we can stop them on first down and pre prevent them getting more than four yards, then their, their touchdown or field goal success rate drops dramatically. So, you know, Kirby talked about getting really loud during the game. And typically when we're loud during the game is on third downs. Well, for this game, we need to be really loud on first down. How are we going to get that message out other than people <laughs> People should just know that? <laughs> they should. We should be loud the whole game. But, you know, is third down is always important. But we need to realize, especially at the start of Tennessee's drive, 
that first down of the first series, we need to be all in Hooker's face. Kirby needs to make a PSA. Somebody needs to get that. I mean, I don't have enough followers yet that to get that out, but we need that to go viral. Yeah. Well, you know, he made the PSA at the press conference about, you know, getting loud and you better not leave with your voice intact, but he didn't say exactly when. So if he could, you know, come back, he doesn't, I don't think he does another press conference. Maybe he could just say something, you know, the night before or pregame about it. Yeah, if somebody goes, Kirby, when do we get loud? I, I think he'd say, don't ask stupid questions the entire time. <laughs> the whole time, please. Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting about first down. Yeah, so um, we got to get loud early and stay loud. I'll do my part. Yeah, all right. Um, so our favorite stat that we love to reference, and I told you this really dictates who's going to be in the college football playoff, is our net yards per play. Right. And uh, so now we're through week nine. So this is where, really where the rubber meets the road. I told you earlier in the season, you know, that number can get skewed by playing a bunch of cupcakes. But now, you know, every team has pretty much played – let's see, five SEC games. So mm -hmm. now this net yards per play is starting to shake out with, you know, the guys at the top and the guys in the middle at bottom. Um, so right now for SEC through week nine, um, we have basically three teams at the top, and I'm sure you can guess who those are, but um, Bama is still leading the way in net yards per play at 2.8. Uh, we're at 2.68, and Tennessee is at 2.2. Uh, everybody else is below two, um, and Vanderbilt is at the bottom at negative 1.35. As I've said before, to get to the college football playoff, you pretty much have to have a net yard per play above two. Um, if you're not there, you're probably not playoff material. If you're above two and a half, then you're probably national champion. So right now we've got two two teams in the SEC that are above two and a half, and that's us and Alabama. Um, you know, so people have been wanting to kind of write Alabama off because uh, because of the loss and you know the fact that they're ranked six now, but um, they're they're still up there. I mean, they're still a really good team. Um, and these net yards per play kind of uh, kind of flesh that out. So, um, you know, it's kind of interesting Tennessee getting higher than they are, um, considering they're one in the CFP poll, and, uh, you know, everybody's talking about how they're going to beat us Saturday. But um, Everybody but Vegas. Yeah, exactly. So if you look at the, the yards on offense and defense um, – you know, yards per play on offense, we're right there with Tennessee. Tennessee's at 7.4. We're at 7.24. Um, and on defense, we're at 4.56. Tennessee's at 5.2. So, you know, if you're looking at a difference in the game, it really could come down to, uh, you know, obviously how well our defense stops Hendon Hooker, but how well their defense, which statistically isn't as good as ours, how well they're able to stop us with a very comparable offense. 
And it'll be fascinating to see how those numbers change next week, given, you know, that Alabama's playing LSU at LSU at night. And then obviously with us playing Tennessee. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So one of the things I wanted to look at is, you know, now that we're through week nine, um, just kind of looking at where we are versus last year. And um, last year, that same net yards per play, you'll see, Um, Not a huge difference for us. We were at 2.99. But if you look, Bama is way down compared to this year. Tennessee obviously has improved this year. Um, But it was us and us alone at this point last year. And, you know, the the 32-point average margin of victory in SEC games kind of spelled that out. So, um, last year, you know, we were a little bit higher, but not a whole lot higher. The one number on last year's in our net yards or yards per play last year that jumps out is on defense, we averaged 3.76 yards per play, which is just absurd. And right. um, that was the reason we led the nation in defense and um, really could lean on our defense at all times because we were averaging giving up less than four yards per play. So, um, you know, that's jumped up this year. We're at 4.56. So we're about three quarters of a yard more um, per play. Um, But our offense is a little bit more efficient than it was last year. So, um, you know, there's not a big difference for us between 2022 and 2021. Yeah, so we went from 2.99 to 2.68. And, mm-hmm. you know, the biggest reason for that, is, if I understand what you're saying, is because of the defense giving up more yards per play. Uh, offense has improved a little bit, if I was reading that right. Yeah. But not yes. enough to offset how much the defense, how many more yards the defense has given up per play. That's right. So at this point last year, we were at 6.75. And this year we're at 7.24. So offense is super efficient. And um, that plays out in, if you look at total offense, it's Tennessee one and Georgia two this year. I mean, we're right there. So where do, or like, for example, where does Ohio State ranking right now as far as net yards per play? Um, so nationally, we can look at net yards per play, and Ohio State is at the top. They're at 3.2 net yards per play, which um, is pretty ridiculous. And I'd be surprised if they stay there the whole year. But um, hovering above three, uh, I think maybe one team has won the national championship with a net yard per play above three, and I think Pretty sure that was 2019 LSU. Um, so it's hard to do. Uh, maybe Clemson one of those years, but um, they may come down a little bit. You know, as we've talked about with Ohio State, they really haven't played anybody. They played Penn State last week, but the rest of their schedule has been cupcake. So, you know, that can kind of skew net yards per play. But looking at it nationally, this is interesting because, um, you know, you look at the top five in CFP, And the top five in net yards per play are all represented right here. Ohio State is, what, number two in CFP. Uh, Well, Bama is six. um, So, actually, they're not in it. But 
we're three, Michigan's four, and Tennessee's five. The real surprise here, well, there's a couple of surprises, but I know where you're going. What is Florida State doing? I mean, (laughs) you know, how did how do they have three losses with a net yards per play of two point two? And Texas, you know, Texas is right there too, right in the top ten. And both of those two teams uh, have three losses. Um, so it, it's it's kind of stunning that they're as productive as they are, and yet they've lost as much as they have. Well, what about Clemson? They're all the way down sub one at 0.9. Which it, it totally baffles me that they got voted in number four in the CFP poll because statistically nothing bears that out that they should be a playoff team. And what this says is they're not even close to a playoff team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the only thing this says is they're undefeated and they're barely gaining more yards per play on offense than they're giving up on defense. So I think they're going to lose before the end of the season. I mean, unless they dramatically improve this, that somebody's going to beat them playing like that. Yeah, well, you know, not when they're playing the Syracuses of the world who are, you know, supposedly one of the best teams in uh, the ACC. <clears throat> one thing I was hoping you could tell me is how is Tennessee's uh, rush defense? Have you looked at that at all? Yeah, um, I glanced at it because Graham Coffey had something on it. Um, it's pretty good. Um, what is the real um, the the thing that's held Tennessee's defense back so much is their pass defense. Their rush defense is rated pretty high. Their pass defense has been terrible. Um, so. You know, I mean, looking at it, we should figure out some ways to pass the ball on them. And um, I'm hoping that, you know, we we can use what we've used all year, which is our tight ends, multiple tight ends, really spread the ball out and, um, you know, just dink and dunk our way to where they just can't stop us passing the ball. But, you know, if you look at our, our running game, the Florida game, I mean, was really telling. And that it was telling from – a standpoint of our offensive line is performing so much better than it was earlier in the year. And you could see that on a lot of our run plays. I mean, we were blowing Florida off the ball and uh, creating huge holes for all of our running backs. So it would be great to see that carryover where we can really establish that run game and then complement it with pass and um, really give them some trouble there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I just think when you've got 20 seconds per play for them on offense, they could gas us kind of like Alabama did in the SEC championship game last year. And if we're coming in and we're going three and out, mm-hmm. that's a recipe for disaster. So I think we have to establish the run on first down. You know, if yeah. you come out and you throw a pass and you drop the pass, now you're in second and 10. Then if you're running – I just I don't I don't necessarily like passing on first down because of that, especially if our running game's working. And, you know, there were a few times we did that against Florida. And I was thinking, why didn't we just run it on first down, get our five or six yards 
and set up an easy second down. And this goes back to what we were talking about with Tennessee with that success rate when first down is successful for them. And we could, I, I think we could create some really successful second downs if we just run the ball effectively on first down. No gain running the ball on first down is more successful than no gain on an incompletion. Absolutely. I know. And, you know, one of the things about Florida game that we kind of see play out all year, and this is something we didn't see with last year's team, is we can really lose momentum or focus at times. And it takes us a little while to recover from that. And I think that, you know, we had stretches on offense where we didn't have momentum last year, but our defense was so good that we would put our defense in some bad situations and they would bail us out. And this year, we, you know, obviously with all the guys we lost on defense, the defense just isn't there to um, to really build that wall like we did last year. And so, you know, you, you see that third quarter of the Florida game where we have a couple of turnovers. They have that drive at the beginning of the third quarter. And it feels like that momentum slipping away and our defense isn't able to, like, just build that wall like we could last year. But once we refocus and get that momentum back like we did late in the third quarter, I mean, we are an offensive machine when we get going. We really are. And and we're going to need to be an offensive machine. We're going to just need to be the defense that Tennessee hasn't seen yet this yeah. year. You know, the, they don't need to see busted coverages. And I don't think – I just don't think they will. I just know that, you know, we have analysts who have been looking at Tennessee. It's not like they just showed up Sunday and were like, all right, Florida game's over. Let's start looking at Tennessee. They've been looking mm-hmm. at these guys for weeks looking at their schemes, looking how they're busting coverages and finding ways for that not to happen. Yeah. And, you know, that gives me some confidence going into Saturday that as far as the players go, this has got to be the game where if we're going to have 60 minutes of focus, this is it. You know, we're not going to, you know, go into halftime 28 to three and kind of come out, you know, playing like we did against Florida in the second half because we think this game is in the bag. You know, I mean, we're – I think we're going to be dialed in the whole game. Maybe we learned something about adversity from, of all people, all places, Missouri. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe that was a blessing in disguise. I mean, if it could teach us a lesson – and that's another example of when we get in a rhythm – we are really hard to stop, and it took us forever in that game to get in a rhythm. But once we did, Missouri had no answer for us on defense. You know, and we we got to eliminate the self-inflicted wounds that we had, you know, in the Missouri game and even in the Florida game. Now I know a couple of those turnovers were, you know, one of those miraculous interceptions. You know, you can't mm-hmm. defend that. I mean, and I, I can't blame. Kenny Mack for that strip. I mean, he's that was just a good play by Florida. And we yeah. did have a we did have a bad pick, and we also had right. some some picks that didn't happen that should have. That I got to believe that that's Tennessee. They don't drop those, right? So yeah. you know, got to have more of the twenty twenty one Stetson versus the twenty twenty Stetson that reared his ugly head a little bit in the Florida game. I know. I mean, you looked at some of his passes, and you're like, "What are you doing?" Um, yep. That forced interception, um, you know, just sailing the ball a few times. And, 
Yeah, granted, we had some drops too. Uh, Darnell dropped one, McConkey dropped one right. yep. that would have gone for huge gainers, but that kind of came back around to us with Brock Bowers' crazy <laughs> catch for a touchdown. So yeah. kind of washed out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm just excited. I'm ready for it to be here. Um, you know, the fact that they're ranked number one doesn't bother me at all. Matter of fact, I'd rather them be number one than us to put pressure on them. You know, they haven't felt the pressure, the weight of being number one in what, 20 years longer. Mm -hmm. When was the last time Tennessee was ranked number one? They don't know how to deal with success right now. Um, I mean, I would, I would say it had to be late nineties or early two thousands was the last time. Yeah. I mean, the last time they beat a top 10 team was 2006 against us. So, you know, you got to go back probably, 2000 or 2001 to, you know, go to get to a time where they've had the success that they've had this year. And, you know, beating Alabama gives you a whole lot of publicity and it gives you a lot of good feelings. And Tennessee is really riding that not only because they've got a good team this year, but they've had a bad team for so long that it's like, they don't even know how to deal with success right now. Well, we uh, we certainly hope that that will bear itself out on Dooley Field Saturday night. Man, you know, I, I've had some people who don't pay attention to college football that much look at this and they're like, wow, Georgia is favored by nine point eight and a half or nine points in this game. You know, I mean, you got Tennessee number one in the college football playoff and yet somehow we're favored by nine points in the game. If you look at all those statistics and that net yards per play and all that, and ESPN has an FPI index basically that ranks the teams and assigns mm-hmm. a number to them, mm-hmm. and Bill Connolly does the same thing. And if you look at the odds for games, they're almost perfectly pegged to that difference between those two numbers that were assigned, mm-hmm. um, minus whatever home field advantage there is. Right. So, mm-hmm. for example, for this game, there are three teams right now nationally at the top with the highest FPIs, and that's Georgia, Ohio State, and Alabama. We're all within, like, a point. We're, we're all at, like, 28. Mm-hmm. Well, Tennessee's at 22. So they're based upon all their statistics, they're they're down a little bit. So you take that difference, which is like six, and then factor in the three point home field advantage, and there's your nine points right there. Um, and that plays out over pretty much any game you want to look at. If you go look at ESPN's FPI, look at the difference between the two teams, factor in home field advantage, and that spread is probably going to be within a point or two of that. Yeah, I mean, so it's Vegas looks at completely objective numbers and statistics, whereas a committee does almost the exact opposite. They're going by what they're told, what they see, you know, average margin of victory, which it seems like they clearly don't take into consideration who that average margin of victory is against. Um, it's just absurd to me that, that this – the arguably the favorite sport in America is still being judged subjectively mm-hmm. by a group of people that name one person on the committee, Bert, name one person. Can you name one person? I can't. 
Uh, the somebody from Michigan, and I don't know who it is, athletic director from Michigan. That's the best we could do between you and I who followed, followed college football this closely. Between two of yeah. us, we can't even come up with a name. You came up with a maybe on somebody at Michigan. Is Condoleezza Rice on there? No. I, know I, would, I would feel much better if Condoleezza yeah. Rice was still on there. She is no longer on there. Bring back Condoleezza. Right. She yeah. follows football. But, um, you know, the other thing, talking about that line, um, and I didn't have this stat in front of me, but our at-home success is absurd under Kirby Smart. And if you – I would love to throw out that 2019 South Carolina game because it's such a crazy fluke that it ever happened, and it was by far Jake Fromm's worst game. Right. But – if we don't lose that game in overtime, you've got to go back to 2016 to find our last home loss. So what is Kirby's record at home? <clears throat> well, let's see. We lost two at home in 2016, and then that one. So I want to say it's like somewhere around 30 and three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And 2016 really wasn't his players weren't his players yeah i mean you can toss out that first year so since his first year in the last 17 18 92 in the last five years he's lost one home game in overtime right yeah so i mean our crowd is so much better than it used to be um and it it has a dramatic effect on the game i mean we saw it against auburn this year we saw it last year against Kentucky and Arkansas. Um, I mean, we can – our crowd can really affect the game. And I think that's why Kirby actually made that PSA about that in his Monday press conference that, you you know, you can do this. You've affected it in the past, and we need it this week. Uh, I can't wait for it to get here. It's been hard to focus on work this week. Sleep hasn't come quite as easily as it normally does it's 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 um but hey it's it's our favorite time of the year we're right here in the sweet spot right where we want to be we're in it you know we're we're relevant it's so great it's so great to be relevant we used to be irrelevant at this time of the year you know it's like we almost just take being ranked number one for granted now i don't take it for granted i savor every (laughs) single day Good, because some people were talking about how they don't like us being ranked number one. I'm like, how can you not like that? I mean, as far as a selling point to recruits, as far as when we introduced the number one ranked Georgia Bulldogs before the game, I mean, those things, we need to embrace them. Oh, yeah. What's interesting is, you know, we went this week from being number one to we didn't do anything Nobody did anything, and all of a sudden, arbitrarily, we're number three because of nothing, because of 13 people's opinions in a smoky, dark room somewhere in Texas. It's all based upon the Alabama effect. I mean, if I could chalk it up to what – well, I'll chalk it up to two things – People love to have a new team introduced to the mix, and they will push 
all the pundits will push as hard as they can to get that new team in there and get except you know, us, except us. Nobody ever pushes us. Nobody gives we're not us a new anything. team anymore. You know, well, but I'm just saying in the past, yeah. I never felt like anybody was pushing us. Oh, right. Yeah, that's true. I know we get dog graded all the time. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. But, you know, the other bump for Tennessee for sure is just beating Bama and that Bama effect of beating them you know, carry so much weight with the committee, I'm sure, that, you know, those two things alone, they're like, yeah, let's put somebody new at number one, and they beat Bama, so let's put them there. If anybody should be mad about the rankings, it should be Bama, and I don't ever defend Bama, but, I mean, <laughs> they're they're 10 feet away on a missed kick from being number one, and they're number six. Yeah, Everything else statistically says Bama is one of the top three teams in the country. Ohio State, Georgia, and Bama statistically far and away the three best statistical teams. But yet Bama, yeah, in a weird pass interference in the end zone away from being undefeated and being probably one or two. In the and beating season. Tennessee in Tennessee. That's right. Yeah. I mean. They make that kick, and now they're squib kicking it to the five. Tennessee's going to have to pick it up, end up at about the 30 at best with 10 seconds at best, and that game is over. You know how much that loss is still eating at them. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. You get so used to beating a team, and, you know, I don't want to say this about Florida, but it just feels different now when we go down there. I mean, besides the weird COVID year, um, you know, it just feels like we should win that game every year. It does. It does. And I hope yeah. it stays that way. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to touch on uh, was talking about Kirby's press conference on Monday is if you watch his press conferences on Monday, I would love to be his boilerplate script writer for how he opens the press conference because <laughs> – he does the same thing every single week, which is I'll, I have tremendous respect for insert this week, Ted coach. <laughs> this week it's Josh Heupel. You know, right. I've got tremendous respect for Josh Heupel. You know, we recruited a lot of those guys right? and they do a tremendous job there. Yeah. I mean, it, it's almost like whoever's writing his introduction script is like, he's already got it all in there and it's just, all right, let's Google what this this week's head coach's name is. Yeah. And then the script is ready for him to go. It's almost a sign of subtle disrespect that he doesn't go to the trouble to say anything other than something boilerplate about him. That's it. Same thing every time. I've got tremendous respect, which is I can't wait until we get to the Georgia Tech game. And he says, I've got tremendous respect for whoever – the interim head coach is at Georgia Tech right now. Right. I don't even okay. do you know who that is? I mean, I've I've seen him out there with his Bill Belichick uh pullover. Um, <laughs> but but other than that, I, I couldn't pick him out of a lineup. Yeah. So I'll I'll be excited to see if he carries that tremendous respect all the way through Georgia Tech because like he had tremendous respect for Sanford, Kent State, Vanderbilt, you know. I mean, yeah. just he I don't think anybody in the country doles out as much respect as our head coach does. You know, he's, he's just respectful that way. <laughs> <laughs>
A lot of respect. Man, he's got a lot of respect to give. Yeah. Well, I hope they come to Sanford Stadium when we disrespect them. And I, I don't want to just beat them. I want to just decisively beat them to just show the committee how wrong they are. Yeah. Yeah. If we're going to have a statement game this year, I mean, regular season-wise, this has got to be it. Yeah. I mean, this has got to be it. Exactly. Well, yeah. Bert, thank you so much for bringing us some stats that matter. It's always great talking with you. Thank Please. you, Mad Dog. Go dogs. Let's go in the basement with Buffalo. And we are back with everybody's favorite, Buffalo. What's up? Hello, Mad Dog. Good to be back from Jacksonville. Uh, another successful trip down to the uh, the coast. Brought back a victory. Had a great time with the family. Saw all the all-stars down there. All our so, good friends. You, you had to be feeling great at halftime, and when when we when we were only up twenty eight twenty, were you getting queasy like, oh my god, it's gonna slip away? Yeah, I was actually with uh, I was sitting with Charles Hope and uh, Jeff Gerard, and I went to the restroom. You know they sell beer there, so right. I was in the restroom during Brock's big play. I missed it, of course. <laughs> I was standing next to a guy, and I said, "What happened in the bathroom?" And he's like. I think they intercepted it. And I was like, oh, and I went out there and I found out the great thing that had happened. So, it, you know, at halftime, I'm thinking, hey, this is a laugher, you know, this is, and then we had them stopped. And then they didn't, I get, was it Chaz Chambliss that didn't hear the whistle or, or something on that fourth and, they were going for it on fourth and four, I thought, on that first possession of theirs. And we, hit the guy after the rest blew the whistle. Anyway, they got a 15 and then it was, but on, but on, but on touchdown and then turnover and then score again. And yeah, I started saying, Oh my gosh, should we pull in a little Missouri action? Well, obviously we pulled back out of it. We managed to get Brenton Cox kicked off the team. Um, I think cause he threw some punches. No telling what kind of tirade he threw in the locker room because he is a little bit of a diva as we have heard. Um, but man, I was just so glad to just get those pesky lizards in the rearview mirror so we can move forward to this week. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And I think, and actually, Harry Carey called me uh, <laughs> yesterday and was so proud that uh, Brent had been thrown off the team. He, he told everyone about that, about that guy last week. The only person he hates more is Cracker Jack, from what I know. <laughs> I just hope he didn't get any Cracker Jacks last night when he was trick or treating in heaven. <laughs> me too. He might have might have been sent to hell after his reaction from that. I just want to go to the grocery store and now I'm going to be looking for Clark bars and Zagnuts. Was it a Zagnut bar? Yeah, I think he was talking about some Zagnuts and uh, Clark bars, and I think he he mentioned Bitto honey. Bitto honey, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Um, his thoughts are, or really, what are your thoughts about the Tennessee game? You know, we got some really bad news with Nolan. Um, what's your gut telling right now? Yeah, Nolan. I mean, I hate to see that. That's that's bad news. Um, we'll have to see some some guys step up. Robert Beal and Chambliss, amongst among others. Uh, I think Nolan's. I don't know if not the team leader, one of the for sure. I've, 
I've seen him in action. He's an impressive guy um, as far as speaking to people and the way he kind of commands attention and respect. And I know he'll be able to do that. He'll be there on the sidelines doing the same thing, but he just won't be out there playing hard, playing his heart out like he always does. But, uh, I'm, you know, I feel good. We, we just need to, you know, we need the three turnovers last week. We won three turnovers, one by 22. We don't need to go three nothing this week. We don't need to give them the ball. Um, but I'm feeling pretty good, man. I, 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 I never have thought we were going to lose the game, and I feel better today than I did earlier in the week because I'm thinking, you know, if you've ever gambled, uh, and, and the dogger would know more about this than I, but I have gambled. And, and when you see something that's too good to be true, you know, I used to jump on it. And you know what happens every time, man? You get slapped. Right. So I'm thinking, I think we'll have no problem with them offensively. Uh, us, us offensively, I mean. I think we'll give up a few big ones. Probably two. I hope we can limit it to two. Um, yeah. It, I think it's going to be the classic line that, you know, everybody hates is prepare to get comfortable with being uncomfortable because we're going to see – Probably see our defense get scored on more than they have all year. Um, we're going to be a patchwork to a certain degree, trying to fill in for Nolan, probably by committee. I got to think when Kirby says there's nothing that you can throw at them that they haven't seen, that we're going to try and throw something at them that they haven't seen. Um, whether it's, you know, blitz packages, alignments, both. Um, it's just going to be, I'll tell you this, it's going to be a Dang good football game, and it's going to be an electric Sanford Stadium, and even more so because obviously we're going to be on Dooley Field for the first time without Dooley. And uh, I bet that, you know, as, as entrenched as you are with the University of Georgia, that you probably run into him a time or two. Oh, I certainly have. I was able to. I've met him a few times. I, mean, I, I don't. I don't know him. He doesn't know my name probably, but. One time I was able to uh, sit in his box uh, when we played Appalachian State the day that Eason got tangled up in the chains. When he got injured, mm -hmm. he was sitting right next to me, and his box has a big section. And then they kind of have the kids' room, which we got. We got he didn't <laughs> put us in the kids' room. His daughter did. But his daughter <laughs> all us idiots in the kids' room. So we were over here on the side, and it was kind of quiet, but – the thing I want to say about Coach Dooley was he came in on two separate occasions, came into the to the bad boys room and sat down with us and talked with each and every one of us. Uh, Easton got hurt during all that. I was able to talk to him about the quarterbacks. I was asking him to pick who he liked better, uh, Fromm or Easton, because he's seen them both. And, of course, he gave me the diplomatic answer. But he was just a genuinely nice guy. And he came in the first half and hung out with us, and then he came in the second half and hung out with us. When he didn't have to do that. I mean, you know, there were plenty of other people in there, old friends and whatever that he had in there. But he took, you know, 30 minutes during the game to just sit and discuss football or whatever we wanted to talk to with him right there. And I thought that was a, you know, that just speaks to what a fine man he was. Wow, what a just humble class act, you know. It had been so easy to just not go in there. And, and like you said, he didn't come in there once, he came in there twice. Twice, and, and, you know, I wasn't – I was driving back. I was we were going to go back to Atlanta, so I wasn't into all the extracurriculars. But they, they didn't have beer in his box, but they did have some wine, and I can't believe he wasn't angry with the rest of the guys I was with. They 
pretty much raided his wine uh, uh, stash and they drank most of that. I thought that was going to come in there and scold us, but he didn't. Do you remember, was it the president's box or the AD's box? I, I don't know. It's in the railroad track side end zone area is where it is. And I don't know. I just always knew it as Vince's box. I'm not sure um, whose box. I think it was his. And I don't know. Maybe it was the AD's box. Mm -hmm. But it was a memorable experience. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget his great, as gracious host he was. Man, that's a great story. Are you going to the game this week? Yes. Yeah. Are you taking uh, you taking Laura? Are you taking any kids? Uh, my wife can't go. I'm taking uh, I'm taking my older daughter Elizabeth. She gets to go with me. She's going to be staying in town with her cousin anyway, and I'm going to be there Friday night. And I, I said, let's go. And so she we're going to experience what I think will be the most electric night that I've ever seen in Sanford Stadium history. It could be one of the all timers. I think Kirby said last year that he thought we gave them 10 points against uh, when we played Arkansas, the crowd right. was for that noon kick. And I'm thinking if that was a noon kick, maybe we could be good for 17 this week. Oh man, that place is going to be on fire. Um, and, and, and Tennessee's fans have been helping them so much. I mean, if you've, I'm glad we're not going there. I would be nervous, but I think we can, turn the tide on them and really put them at a disadvantage. They played at 11 a.m. In, in Baton Rouge, and I don't think they got the full meal deal from those guys. I think we're going to give it all we got. Oh, there's no question. That place is going to be electric. It's, it, I mean, it's the biggest game in Sanford Stadium history. It's the first game since Vince Dooley passed. I believe it's also the first game since Charlie Trippy passed. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's it's got everything. I mean, it, all the factors are just pointing to just a, a game that's going to measure on a Richter scale. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be my earliest get in of all time. We're going for, we're going to get down pretty early because I'm not going to get in the mosh pit and the game kicks off. I'm not. I'm going to be there. Uh, as I've aged, I've gotten. I'm, I'm that guy that gets in there when the gates open at one thirty. <laughs> you know, then I just start roaming and eating, and you know, you're always running into people. You know, it's just awesome. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's gonna be great. Many of the same people I was with down in Jacksonville, they'll be there. So it'll be good to to revisit those fellows again if everybody made it home. I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, it's my youngest parents' weekend. So uh, Friday night, I'll be in black tie. Athens Country Club with uh, Rapp and Ross D, amongst others. Then uh, Saturday, I don't know what we got. Maybe a lunch that I'll be leaving very quickly. Um, and I don't think there's anything but people running around after that game, hopefully celebrating and ringing the bell on North Campus. I hope so. I'm going to stay if we win. If, if on the off chance something bad were happening, I think I'm going to take it back to Atlanta. I don't think I can be there. Watch yeah. fans on our streets celebrate, but I'm not even going to think that's stupid for me to even say that. That's not going to happen. I hope when the rankings come out tonight that we're number two. Me too. Or, or, or maybe three. I want Tennessee. Yeah. I want Tennessee number one. Yeah, I think we will be. And their fans were earlier this year were were like we're just happy to be kind of relevant again. Now they're pretty boisterous. And I want them to be that way. I want them to come in with that swagger that they think they have. And I think with a, what are we, what are we, 32 and one since 
2017 at home. Yeah, something crazy. Yeah. And, yeah, it's going to be tough to beat us at home, man. They're, they're going to find that out. Well, um, I wish we had Dogger so we could talk about the line. Dogger, can you get, come in, Dogger? Can you read us? <laughs> I am here. Roger, Roger. Man, thank you for coming in on no notice. Um, me and the conversation naturally gravitated to things of the betting realm when it came to the Georgia-Tennessee game. And we, you know, because people sometimes like to bet just for funsies. We were talking about the fact that the line had been nine. And we were wondering maybe with the uh, announcement of Nolan's injury if that had moved appreciably. Yeah, I actually did a little research on this after hearing uh, about uh, about Nolan Smith and unfortunate with that. But so the only people that really had it open at 11 and I even saw 11 and a half is that FanDuel gambling website where if you live in a legal uh, state, you can bet on that's the only everybody else, all your true um, gambling casinos in Vegas, all those people, they really opened it. at This is as of Sunday afternoon. They all open it around nine and a half. So there was there was a little bit of an effect on Nolan uh, being out for the rest of the year and obviously from this game, but really not too much because the current line is eight and a half and 66. And I saw the uh, the opening line was 65 and a half. So to only move it up half a point, I'm thinking Vegas either already had it factored in. Or, uh, or they're just counting on the fact that we have some, we have such good recruiting classes in the past that uh, other players are going to step in and, and uh, you know take Nolan's uh, spot. Well, uh, David Green said he predicted 35-28, and you know that I'm on record with you of saying 38-28, which is dead yeah. on the over/under with the dogs did, covering. Yeah. Yep. Um, I just. I just think with the talent that we have on our team, that it can't come down to one guy. I got to believe that there's four guys behind Nolan with the kind of games we've had this year that have gotten enough meaningful PT that they can plug them in. And they're not just going to be able to beat up on that one guy. One guy's not going to lose the game for us. I sure wouldn't think so with the talent that we have. I, I, I hope not, obviously. Uh, and yeah, it, you look at what Alabama put up against them offensively, and they're supposed to have a great defense. I, I just think our defense is better than Alabama's, and even with Nolan out, and it, 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 it I think it will be a shootout. We're going to try to run the ball, but overall, maybe some gunslingers out there. I, I do like the over in the game, and I, I'm not going to give a preference on who I like in the in the dogs. What do you know about their run defense? Because I know that they're going to try and gas our defense, and we're going to try and have a little more, you know, ball control, game control, and hopefully try and slow it down with our running game. What do you know about that? Because I'm honest, I don't. I haven't looked at any stats on that. I mean, if I look at other games that they've played, the uh, the running game has been able to succeed uh, against their off against their defense. So. Uh, I don't know any specific stats on it. I don't. Uh, I don't delve that deeply into my my analytics for gambling, um, but but I uh, I think we should be able to run on them, especially with our, our talent at running back and kind of changing it up and using them out of the backfield. I could see us uh, using the running backs a lot, and obviously again, like I mentioned last week, using the tight ends. The only common opponent 
off the top of my head is Florida. And you know, Florida was driving the field to potentially win the game at the end. I think I think Tennessee beat them like 38-34. So we scored four more points against them than Tennessee, and they allowed 14 more points uh, than we did. And and we actually gifted them some of our points. True. Yep. Um, and I guess that kind of goes into some of the calculus that that Vegas looks at when they're looking at these games and running through a uh, hundred thousand simulations of how it would turn out given the personnel, the location, the weather, the Zodiac sign and everything. <laughs> <else>. <laughs> yeah. The simulation that I have as Georgia winning and covering, not just winning, covering by 60%, uh, but it has it going under by 44%. So 56% to the other side. So uh, that's just uh, CBS sports site that I use it simulates it 10,000 times so I, yeah who knows because the ones on ESPN on ESPN.com uh, does that too and they have us up there something ridiculously high like 82% chance uh, public or sim I don't know who it is I just know it's on their on okay their website. yeah I don't I don't look at ESPN at all but um yeah I don't have any idea it's uh and you got to wait till later in the week. Obviously, we're only Tuesday, and if it's public, then there hasn't been too much activity on it yet. So there, uh, there'll be some people that are in Vegas or doing the DraftKings or FanDuel online that uh, will affect those lines a little bit. That's I, I'm shocked it'd be that much. Obviously, Vegas wants to get things 50-50, and they just live off the juice. Right. All right, we can obsess about this game until midnight. Let's go through some of your uh, some of your other picks. <laughs> I'll go quick. Uh, all right, so I'm going to stick with the four SEC straight up winners, uh, three and one past two weeks, and three of the four are dogs. So I'm pulling for a mostly dog all dog weekend except for one. A uh, and M uh, against Florida. Florida plus three and a half. Uh, Kentucky minus one half against Missouri. Going Missouri plus one and a half. Alabama minus 13 against LSU, LSU plus 13. Both Missouri and LSU are at home. And then Miss State and Auburn be my only favorite, taking Miss State minus 13 and a half. They're obviously in massive disarray. Uh, these three-team total teasers in college have been working well. So we're going to go Wisconsin against Maryland. Total is 52. We're going to go over 42 because we move at 10 points. Mm -hmm. Clemson, Notre Dame, your favorite school, 55 or New under 65 Virginia Tech against Georgia Tech 40 and a half we're going to go under 50 and a half and then I, I knocked this down to a 10 team super cracker the 12 team last week went seven three and two had two pushes uh went seven three and two uh so I try to fix some top games here uh give people something to pay attention to TV games etc uh, Minnesota Nebraska uh, Minnesota's minus 16 going mini minus 16. TCU, Texas Tech, TCU's minus nine and a half, going Texas Tech plus nine and a half. North Carolina minus seven and a half against Virginia, going Virginia's plus seven and a half. Um, you're, you're so biased for Virginia. Uh, there's, there's, that's a trend with you. And I know it's, fam <laughs> I know it's family, but I'm just going to call you out. All right, continue. He's always been snooty like it's yeah, not. Yeah. Oh man, man, North Carolina is a lot snootier than Virginia is. But no, that is not. Sure. They they tend to. Uh, they, Virginia just keeps fitting the system. I don't. Uh, I'm not doing it solely because of family. I promise. Uh, <laughs> the uh, Oklahoma 
is three and a half against Baylor. I'm gonna. This is crazy to me that I'm gonna go with Oklahoma minus three and a half. So contrarian. Uh, well, yeah, well, just I follow it, whatever. Uh, Georgia, <laughs> Georgia 66 against Tennessee. I'm going over 66. I kind of mentioned that earlier. Uh, Pitt minus three and a half against Syracuse. Rob's gonna be shocked at this one. Uh, Pitt minus three and a half. Wow. Oklahoma State minus two against Kansas at Kansas. Kansas plus two. And this one, uh, yeah, there's somebody in the Wilson family who may not be too happy about this pick, but South Alabama minus four against Southern. Had to throw this one in. South Alabama minus four. Oh. And Texas minus two and a half against Kansas State. Kansas State plus two and a half. And then another one, the other Wilson's not going to like. Uh, Clemson minus four and a half against the Irish. Taking the Irish plus four and a half. Actually, I like that because I want Clemson to lose. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's fair enough. You know, your Irish looked good last week, Darner. They did. They did. They did. Maybe yeah. Clemson and another, you know, mess around game, they'll actually lose one. That would be great for all of us. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Have y'all been keeping it from me that Craig Leachman, I mean, excuse me, Dogger is, <laughs> is a closet Notre Dame fan. Has this been kept from me? You said you're Notre Dame, Dogger. What does this mean? My brother went to Notre Dame. He graduated from Notre Dame. I caught uh, catches on the field from Tony Rice. Tony Rice, yeah. I'll allow it. All right, back, <laughs> all right, back to uh, LSU, Alabama. Who wins money line? LSU money line. Uh, Alabama wins money line. Alabama. Yeah, but okay. you're giving up. I mean, you're probably minus. I would. I didn't, I didn't look at that, but you're probably minus. 280 or something, so you bet 100 and lose 280 if they don't, but I, I'd i be nervous of that. I'd rather take LSU plus the points, but Alabama, I don't know. What did what'd they show you? I don't know. I, uh, well, they showed me they shut I, old crazy Mike Leach down last week. Yeah, I know. They, I they, just they, don't. they helped their defense. They took notice after that thrashing up there they did they did lsu though is playing better and it's not because it's the old coach uh i just i mad dog i i would uh i wouldn't be too scared of that i just don't like laying that much money to just to make sure they win a game on a 13 point line yeah no i'm just asking you for your just gut who do you think is going to win do you think lsu's got a chance at night at home against i think they definitely have a chance that's why i'm scared of the game scared of the money line Right. Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. As as a Georgia fan, I'm pretty sure we want them to lose. We do. That's true. And I didn't know. I listened to the show just real quick. What did? What's the opinion if Georgia was to lose? God forbid, Alabama loses, and um, somebody else loses. We still have a chance to get to the Final Four. Clemson loses. I retract my statement. We definitely want Clemson to lose. I think right. that we want Alabama. If, if we lose, we want Tennessee to play a one-loss Alabama so they, can, so they can knock them out. There you go. That makes sense. Yeah, that's perfect. We need TCU to get out of this, too. I no was kidding. feeling for them to lose last week so bad. Yeah, they're muddy in the water. We need them gone. They're I messing around. They're Texas Tech's in my super cracker. Plus nine and a half. 
Texas Tech against TCU. I like Texas Tech a lot. It tells you how flawed the system is when we're number one undefeated reigning national champions and, you know, we're, we're having to play what if if we lose one game, which, you know, this stupid little game's going to be over in a couple of years because we're going to be getting in every year when it's top 12 teams. True. We'll be hoping that we lose a game and get seeded to the fact that we'll have a home game in San Jose Stadium in December, host a playoff game, just, just for the novelty of it. Wow. That is correct. Robert, do you have any uh, Vince Dooley memories you'd like to share with us? Uh, Buffalo had a good one. Uh, I'm sitting here staring at a book that he signed for me that we pulled out when we found out he passed away. And, and I, um, I was around him a good bit. I, I will say this. I was around probably the best story that I have is I went to uh, Bones a couple of weeks ago with all the Withers clan. Uh-huh. And, uh, and this was obviously before Vince passed away, but I texted Mr. Withers uh, and uh, about uh, uh, sorry that Vince passed away. Coach Dooley passed away. And, his response was, he was a damn good coach, a damn good dog, and a damn good friend. Wow. Yeah. So, so how? what was his connection then? Did they go to Georgia together? Mr. Withers used to call numbers up in the box. I didn't know that. He did. Wow. Yep, he would call numbers. You know what I mean. He would just say, right. that's uh, 45 so-and-so. Right. Yep, he would do that and knew him extremely well. So would Mr. Withers do that for Monson? He would do it for basically it would be they'd all be on a hot mic and he would do it for whoever was announcing. So yes, Munson. Okay. Yeah, I'm sorry. I said for Vince, but for when Vince was coach, he did it. Right. But obviously when you're yeah, in that, yeah, yeah, you're yeah. in that kind of inner circle, you're gonna you're gonna become friends with, with everybody. And wow, that what exactly. a job. Yeah. Uh and then so yeah, sitting here with the book. That he signed. Let's see what he wrote. He wrote uh, for Craig, a top dog, UGA 91 grad. Enjoy the art and my history of UGA. Vince Dooley, Merry Christmas, 2014. Very, very personalized. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously I saw him around other than that, but uh, no, it just uh, what I said to a couple of folks, uh, just a great man and obviously a great coach. Beloved by all, whether they knew him or not. Just exactly. It's an absolute definition of an icon for the University no of Georgia. No doubt. So much so, so they need to feel that. Though. Yeah, enough said. <laughs> it's truly filled with San Francisco. That's all you need to know. That is true. Like you said a minute ago, it's going to be the, the atmosphere should be rocking. Saturday night, yeah. it looks like I am going to go, but I'm still kind of 60-40 on yes for snow. So I hope I, I can go. It's going to be out of control. It's going to be the loudest it's ever been. And that's what Kirby asked for. Yeah. We're, we better come back without a voice. <laughs> exactly. I better, I better not be able to do this show next week. I better have to whisper, <laughs> whisper the show. may have to uh, eat a lot of cough drops and delay it until Wednesday. Yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, once again, I always appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdom, sharing your, your great memories of Vince Dooley. And uh, hope to see you in Athens this weekend.
So we are thrilled to have with us today David Green, former UGA quarterback, left Georgia as the winningest QB in NCAA history with 42 wins. He also set the record for most pass attempts without an interception, which was, I believe, uh, was it 217? He He was the all-time career leader in yards when he left UGA. He was SEC Offensive Player of the Year. And in 2002, he led us to our first SEC championship in 20 years. So how about that for an intro? Welcome. Intro, man. Fired up about this week, as you can imagine. Woo, I'm fired up. I'm nervous. Of course, the news broke today about Nolan, which uh, I feel for him and, and, and that injury and, and for his family. So, uh, thoughts and prayers on a quick recovery for the offseason as he moves to the next level. Um, now, I, I think it's going to be a replacement of my committee from what I can kind of gather and ascertain. Of, you know, everybody from Chaz Chambliss, who's battling a pulled hamstring, to, gosh, MJ Sherman. Um, I hear other names running around like Mikhail Williams. I just don't know what to expect, but I'll tell you this. I, I know to expect Sanford Stadium is going to be on fire. Ain't no doubt about that. And uh, um, I can't, I mean, I can't, you know, the last game that was played in Sanford Stadium kind of this magnitude. Uh, I mean, over the moon right now. Now, they really haven't had anything to cheer the last 15 years. And right now, now, man, I mean, you could obviously, you could argue that they're, uh, um, you know, in, uh, the best ball in the country. Um, we got a very good football team as well. I mean, you look at Florida. I mean, how often can Georgia turn the ball over four times against Florida and still beat them by, I believe it was 22? It goes to shit football team. Um, if we play clean on Saturday, Day to win the game, but we've got to play football. Yeah, I agree, and I think turnovers are the key. As you know, I mean, you can't blame um, Kenny McIntosh for getting stripped. I mean, you can, but that play—I mean, that could happen to anybody. You can't blame Stetson for that that crazy play where the receiver was on top of—I think it was Dominic Blaylock ended up with the ball. He did have one one bad pick. So, I mean, to me, it's man, I want to see us pound the rock. Take our take our you know chances when when our guys you know when the defense gives us passes rather than trying to force right. the coverage and I really you know so much of it's going to rely on our, our defense I think we're, Kirby's probably going to throw things at them that they've just not seen before and, and with the Nolan being out that's just such an X factor because you don't know what he's going to try and cook up I do know this we basically got three defensive coordinators who are going to be able to trim up something. <laughs> put their minds together and figure out a good plan. But, you know, the thing with Nolan uh, that I think, I think is just he's a good player, but I think his leadership, I mean, he was a guy, right. guy that he played. I think we're going to miss his leadership as much as anything. Um, you know, the one thing in the Alabama game, I felt like Alabama's mindset on defense was top eight, play coverage, and think, think that uh, they can stop Hooker and they feel out that they could not, and so I'd be shocked to see Georgia uh, us try to pressure on Hooker to at least just make him uncomfortable, because uh, he's proven that if you give him time to throw, fit it in tight windows, 
and they do such a good job of spreading the field, making you cover the entire one matchups, and and clearly they got some good receivers that can make plays and are playing with a lot of confidence. It's going to be a good challenge. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch, and I hope both teams show up ready to go up on top, and, and I hope it's a clean game. I hope it's not a situation where one team turns it over and it's a blowout. I mean, of course, I'd love for us to win in, in any fashion, um, but uh, to the hype that we all got in our own minds. Yeah, I mean, I, I could not agree more. And I've got an embarrassing question for me to ask you that I didn't think about until Nolan's out. So I guess the defense is called by JDJ, but there's also, you know, things being called and relayed from Nolan to JDJ to the secondary, or is it all three calling different things based on a basic play? That's a good question. I'm not sure how Georgia does it. I'm not sure if there's a separate coach signaling coverage and a linebacker and he relays it to everyone. Yeah, I don't know either. It's going to be uh, yeah. I'll just that. Back. David, can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I got you. We, David Green has has sacrificed with us today. For those that don't know, he has four kids, I think, all under the age of, what, 13 or 14? Well, I've got 14, 11, 5, and 3. So chances are you'll find me. You're going to find me at a ball field somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So he's carved out some time for us today from the ball field. And, uh, man, I remember those busy days. Like I said, man, you got to savor them. Um, so just jumping back, I, I was – obviously everybody remembers you for hobnail boot. I remember you, in addition to that, for Michael Johnson in 2002 – uh, on fourth down in the end zone, just because of where I was, I was at a buddy's river house, and we were all just raising cane when that happened. But in watching Munson's greatest hits, man, you, you're, you're like at least three or four of the greatest <laughs> hits of all. Um, and, and and so uh, you know, obviously, Hobnail Boots, the, the most famous, and, and I think the play was called P44 Haynes. Everybody knows about the play faking the ball to Veron, he goes up there, you hit him. But talk to us about the drive itself, because I think it started with 44 seconds. Yeah, that's a good question. So um, when they scored on that screen pass, uh, I can honestly say that was the loudest I've ever heard any stadium in my entire life. The ground was literally shaking in Neyland Stadium. It was that loud. Um, the mistake that they made, or one of them, is they did a squib kick. And so they gave us the ball on like the 40-yard line. The first play we called was freedom top. Top means tailback option. And if y'all remember Damian Gary, we put Damian Gary at tailback. And tailback option, we, we send four verticals. And um, and then the tailback, I'm really just throwing at him. If it's man coverage, he can break in or out, regardless of whatever leverage he's got. If it's zone, uh, he's just going to hook it up. Well, they're playing prevent defense. He hooks it up. I dump to him. He makes about two or three guys miss. He gets 12 yards. We're already past midfield after the first completion. Uh, I think the next play we called smoke, uh, which is just a rollout to the right, because the, the big thing with quarterback in those situations, you just can't take a sack. I mean, sack is just the ultimate killer. 
uh, we roll out to the right and we just, it's just a smash concept. You know, you got a flag with a, with a yard hitch, neither one of them were open, burn it. And that's the one thing we got four downs to move the change, uh, move the chain. So coach Rick's always talking about, look, just get rid of the ball in a hurry. We, you don't have to get it all on every play. If it's not there, burn it. Uh, so we throw an incompletion. Next play, we get up on the ball. We call 560 switch. The defense wasn't really set, didn't really know what coverage it was. The ball's really supposed to go to Randy McMichael. If it's one safety, he's vertical, two safeties, he runs a post. We had no idea what they were doing. And um, I was just throwing it in there and really and truly it was almost a pick. It was close. Randy made an unbelievable catch, and uh, we moved the ball. Now we're probably on the 25-yard line. Um, next play, I think we'll pass 44 Tennessee play action pass. Got Randy on an over route. Uh, we find a, a little window in there. We hit Randy. Next thing, no, man, we're on like the five yard line uh, with, I don't remember, 15, 20 seconds to go. Uh, we burn a timeout. Coach Rick had a perfect play call. They had shown uh, they were very predictable. They liked to run quarters coverage when they got down in the red zone. And P44 Haynes, <clears throat> excuse me, is perfect. Uh, against quarters coverage. Our two outside receivers just try to take the safeties with them, just try to occupy the safeties. And our fullbacks just – he had always gone up Veron and and went to the left like he was in the flat. And sure enough, that middle linebacker wasn't expecting it. He just went up, acted like he was going to left, and just slipped him. And there's nobody in the middle of the field once you get past the middle linebacker. And uh, it was kind of like if you all play golf at all, standing over that three-foot putt where you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> It's going to be wide open, but you still got to hit it. And right. uh, sure enough, when we hit it, it was it was chaos. So it went from the loudest you ever heard a stadium to to you could probably hear all of your teammates individually <laughs> <laughs> yelling. There's nothing better when you're playing on the road when you can hear a pin drop in a stadium, and then you hear like a a faint roar over there in the Georgia section It's some of the coolest moments. I mean, it happened at Auburn as well. Um, yeah. When we hit that play with Michael Johnson where you can just hear a pin drop and it is the coolest moment when you can silence a hundred thousand people. Uh, well, let's say we'll call it, you know, 94,000 cause you got your fans there. It's a pretty neat moment. So it's a, to say it's a pretty neat moment is a massive understatement. It was a massive <laughs> moment. And so how long after that so you actually heard Munson's call of the hotmail boot? You know, I guess it was the following week is um, is when it started coming out. You know, I mean, I was on a bus with Munson on the way back, and uh, he never mentioned anything. And the beauty of Larry, I don't think he even knew what he said. <laughs> who, who, what is a hobnail boot? Nobody even heard of it. <laughs> right. and, um, but that's part, I think, why we love Larry so much is he was so authentic. And I think we could all relate to him because we were all losing our minds just like he was, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, just a really cool moment. And when I talk to kids now, you know, Mad Dog, I tell them, I'm like, you know, I didn't wake up feeling any different that day than I do any other day. Um, you just got to keep playing. And uh, that whole, when I talk about the process and not, you know, once one plays over, turn the page and forget about it and just go to the next one. And there was plenty of times we could have, we could have folded in that game, especially after they score and be like, Oh, it's just the same old Georgia team. You know, we blow it at the end. We just kept playing and you never know what can happen when you don't allow your mind to get out of it. And you seriously just compete as hard as you can to the end um, 
you never know. Sometimes good things do happen. Oh man, that everything you just said is so true. I mean, whether it's something good or bad happens in life, you got to turn the page on it. You know, if it's bad, it's over, turn the page and move on. If it's good, you can't dwell on that either and live off that. You got to go, you know, try to make the next good thing happen. Um, and, and then as far as months ago, you know, I was your classic Georgia fan back then. You know, TV's turned down, months it's turned up. <laughs> I'm I'm going bananas. I you know I'm going. What in the world is a hobnail boot? I don't care. I'm going to figure that out later. <laughs> and then, um, you know, just like you said, um, with uh, with the Auburn game. Uh, and Michael Johnson, who had a monster game that day, I didn't realize. Huge. Um, you know, I think he had 13 catches or something for well over 100 yards. And, and, and that game was just so, you know, you had the whole season riding on that game and, all, and on that play because it all came down to that play. If, if, if we don't win that game, we're not going to the SEC championship, correct? That is true. And, and I'll tell you this, Matt, dog. It's uh... – I get way more nervous watching Georgia play than I ever did playing. And I think part of the reason being, and maybe this will help some of the listeners kind of understand the mindset you got to have is, you know, as a fan, I go to the game and I'm going, okay, you know, that first half was really rough. We can't run the football. We're turning the ball over. You know, you're kind of looking big picture. Um, as a player, I couldn't think that way um, or else I would get extremely nervous like everybody else, right? If you if you zoom out too much, uh, it, it's, you know, you can almost just uh, scare yourself to death. And so the way I handle at least my approach mentally was just stay in the moment, you know, be dialed in, concentrate on my and almost extremely trying to be very methodical in the way I went about my business. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. Play football and just play all. Hopefully, you know, all of well. You know, that's exactly right. And, and I was, I just, obviously, I'm studying you, although I didn't need to have to study you from just living through your career. But I, I ran a couple, across a couple of quotes uh, that I thought were awesome. Um, you know, Veronica is your high school sweetheart. And you said, I had to get her before she knew better. And I thought, okay, that's awesome because I married my high school sweetheart. But then you also said something that just, you know, really struck me. You were talking about playing for Georgia. And, you know, you realize before, you know, the game that the mood of the entire state is dictated by how you play over the next four hours. I mean, that is, I mean, as a, as a fan, I can't even imagine and then you as a quarterback, you know, are, are carrying a lot of that weight. How did you deal with that, just working through that, knowing that that's the way it is? I'll say this. You know, when I played at Georgia, um, I mean, in that during those years, I really felt like that's what I was born to do. And so, I mean, I think, um, you know, belief is a lot of it, where you got to believe that, um, that you are the guy for the job. And I did. I felt that way. I mean, I felt like this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. This is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. And these are the guys that I'm supposed to be doing it with. And But you think about the camaraderie that you build with your teammates through that as well, because you realize that, you know, if you're going to put yourself out there and try to play at that level, uh, 
you are putting yourself out there for the good and the bad, right? I mean, you're you're going to be subject of a lot of discussion post game, whether it's good or bad, and um, and that's why you really grow tight amongst your teammates. One, you spend so much time together, uh, but you also go through a lot of challenging times as well. Where, I mean, just getting through drills the first year was hard enough, and those are at five thirty in the morning. Um, but yeah, it was just, um, man, it was such a magical time and you're young and you believe in yourself and you're hungry. And I think that's when you got all that coupled together and mixed together where you just really want it, you want it, you believe you're the guy for the job and you believe you're in the right place. Um, it's a lot of fun and it's a lot of fun to be a part of it. And man, I was blessed to have great, you know, great teammates, great coaches my whole career. Um, and to be able to do it in front of our, you know, our home crowd. I mean, I was born and raised in Gwinnett County. So uh, I'd been around Georgia fans my entire life. And so, and, and get to play as long as I did, get to start for, you know, four years, you know, started 52 ball games. Um, yeah, I feel really grateful for, for that. Well, you certainly have a, a lot to be grateful for in your career. I mean, like I said, the records that you set for most. Most passes about a pick, most yardage uh, after your career, most most wins in the NCAA for a career. I mean, that's amazing. Now, you know, obviously records are meant to be broken, but when you did that, I mean, at what point did you look back and go, man, I, I just, did that really just happen? I mean, because you're probably like most people, like I always hear quarterbacks, they're not thinking about these records as they're setting up, right? No. Oh, no, no. You're look as an athlete uh, or really in anybody in business or anything else. I mean, you got to keep growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. Right. And so you don't have an opportunity to really um, sit back and go, man, look what we've accomplished here. Um, And look, you know, I I think I'm the first one to say a lot of these awards. I mean, they're team awards, especially wins. I mean, I, I was part of some really, really good defenses. And uh, I was smart enough to realize that if I just did my job well enough, I had enough good players around me um, that I didn't have to do a whole lot. It it wasn't up to me to go out there and win every football game. We just had to not not lose it, you know, not turn the ball over, make stupid plays. um, And when we had the opportunity to make a big play, we had to take advantage of it. And so – uh, you know, that was kind of the role that, you know, Coach Rick told me from day one. I mean, he actually told me that the, the day that he told me I was starting my freshman year, he said, Green, I want you to realize more quarterbacks lose games for their teams than win games. And you've got good players around you. Um, I just want you to distribute the ball where it needs to go and, you know, and just not just not hurt us. And um, and. I was wise enough to realize that we had good enough players for both sides of the ball. If I did that, you know, we, we could win. The parallels to that uh, scenario, that situation you just described with yourself and Stetson sound very similar, surrounded by a great player, surrounded by a great defense. What would you see Stetson? Is it just like, it's really mind blowing to think about his journey. I mean, starting in 2017 as a walk-on, running, you know, Oklahoma's offense, mimicking Baker Mayfield uh, to get us ready for that game, which he obviously did a great job. 
to, to, to transferring to JUCO, to coming back, to being told there's no way he's going to start, to leading us to a national championship, and then coming back for yeah. another year. I mean, tell me, you know, what thoughts you have when you watch his journey of just how amazing it is. Well, um, to start with, I would say I didn't really know his name back in 2017 when he was running the scout team. I knew there was obviously something a little unique about him when his name starts popping up uh, in some of these press conferences. You could hear Roquan Smith and some of the starters on defense that keep mentioning this kid Stetson Bennett, our scout team quarterback, is shredding us. And Kirby's talking about you know, no, You don't normally hear people talking about the scout quarterback in press conferences. So I knew there was something a little unique about him. I knew that um, – that he obviously was getting some respect within the locker room for guys to mention him. And then when he left and came back, um, it showed to me a couple things. And he came back on scholarship. It showed to me that Kirby believes in him, even though he's probably not his A plan. But Kirby obviously saw enough in him before to be like, this dude can play ball. He's maybe not our five-star athlete, but this guy's good enough to offer him a scholarship. And then, um, and then number two, last year when he came in and played, I could tell he was a guy that A, believed in himself. Um, he was a great competitor. You know, he showed up ready to go every week, and you could sense that. I mean, he was never mailing – well, no pun intended. <laughs> and, um, but when he came back this year – now, Mad Dog, think about this. His storybook, and if he would have sailed off into the sunset after the natty, Nobody would have blamed him, right? Nobody. He could have. I mean, his stock could never have gotten any higher than it was after that game. But what he showed to me is that this dude is still hungry. He is hungry to play football. And um, I got a lot of respect for him because he could have left on a uh, at a level that nobody other than probably Herschel Walker achieved that where his stock was when he left or when Herschel left. And to know he's come back and leading the team, and uh, it shows that he's a great competitor. You can tell he loves to play football. I love watching him play. I mean, he's a tremendous athlete, and uh, and he's clearly leading, the, doing a good job leading his football team. You know, whatever his perceived limitations may or may not be, the bottom line is he's a winner. You know, he's a leader. He's won that locker room. Those guys rally around him. They want to play with him. They want to play for him. And, and when you have that intangible quality, you can't measure it. You know, Mad Dog, The um, I felt like we learned a lot about this ball team in the Missouri game. When we played Missouri uh, this year, obviously it was the most frustrating game I think any of us have watched. Right? It was scary, if anything, because we you know, we were literally getting butts beat the majority of the football game. But you could tell the players, they had, I mean, they knew that if they didn't win this game, then, you know, things could go downhill dramatically. And they just kept battling. They kept fighting. And when we needed to play our best ball on the road, we did. And I thought that showed a lot of maturity with the football team because um, that thing could have easily unraveled. Just imagine as frustrated as we are, just imagine how frustrated they were. I mean, they're the ones that have worked hard all season long in this position. They actually settled down and played their best ball. I thought it, I thought it said a lot about um, – the maturity of this of this football team. 
Lindsey Scott was on last week, and he had a funny comment about his mom. He says, "Mom, at one point said, boy, them dogs will make you cuss.'" And when I watched that Missouri game, I said a few bad words. Yeah. But you know, it, it, it showed their resiliency. It showed, like you said, they just did not give up. They just continued to methodically, you know, follow their process, and they knew that regardless of the bad things that were happening, they keep doing what they're supposed to do. Good things are going to happen. And it all worked out. It did. Um, all right, I got a, I got a little bit of a curveball for you. Not bad. You can hit it. I like all it. Right. Do you do you how how much do you keep so keep up with uh, Veron Hanks? So I actually saw Veron um, last week. He had his golf tournament. Saw he and Charles Grant, some of those guys. So yeah, yeah, I saw V last week. So when I when I tell people, you know, hey, David Green are on the show this week. They got anything you want me to ask them? One of the questions was. Can you talk to Baron and get him to have a word with his son and give us another look? <laughs> right. No, I'm telling you. Um, you know, first of all, V's obviously a great father. Not not putting any pressure on a son, wanting him to be his own man. I tell my kids the same thing. I, you know, just because I play quarterback doesn't mean I want my boys to feel like they got to play quarterback. Um, you know, with the amount of recruiting and attention that Justice is getting, and rightfully so. Um, I think it says a lot about V that he's not putting his own, <laughs> you know, opinion too much into it. Um, but yeah, I kind of wish he would at this point, selfishly for for the Dog Nation, because his son is is obviously a tremendous talent. I, I watched the uh, and probably a lot of people across the probably watched the Mill Creek Buford football game. A uh, lot of really good players on both sides of that ball, but uh, Justice Haynes can he can tote the rock and. Uh, if anybody's relentless about recruiting and will probably recruit him to the very, very end, I'm assuming uh, Kirby is is going after him, guns a blazing. Well, uh, pass the word along that the Bulldog Nation's not mad at him for anything he may or may have not decided so far, and that right. we would still love to have him. Yes, uh, true. I, I, actually, I said that on Wednesday as well. <laughs> All right. Uh, next one, I'm going to call this up. I'm going to call it knuckleball. So, David Pollock was your roommate at one point. Was he messy? Oh, my gosh. Um, he was messy, and I'll, and I'll confess I was messy as well. I mean, a, a small child probably could have died in our apartment in college. Uh, <laughs> my, uh, when we were moving out, my parents came and helped clean out. And we literally had dishes that had been in that dishwasher for like four months that had just been sitting there. I mean, we didn't cook or anything, but it was, it was, they needed to just bomb the apartment. They really did. It was, it was pretty disgusting. So no, Pollock was not a clean freak, but I will not confess to be one either. It was, it was bad. See, I would picture him as being like a real clean freak. That's interesting. But at the same time, you're a college football player, so I'm, I'm not expecting anybody to be a housekeeper in the bunch. Think about this, Mad Dog. We were 20 years old. This is back when Halo first came out. <laughs> and you could play people online. Literally, uh, if we would have studied as hard as we did playing Halo, we would have made a lot better grades. So... Um, I get you're in insurance now. So did you get your degree in insurance from Terry College? I did. Yeah. So I was a risk management and uh, insurance grad. So Dr. Well, Hoyt, man, one of the best risk management schools year after year in the country. I mean, typically we're at the top. I think this past year we were number one. Sure. Sure. No, we typically are. And, and 
and rightfully so. Dr. Hoyt has done a fantastic job uh, for as long as I can remember. I think he's been doing it for, I don't know, maybe 30 years. Right. I was, um, I, I just I recently, I mean, learned just how top notch our insurance school is. I mean, I didn't realize, I mean, it's, it's gold standard. No, there's no question. And, uh, I'll tell you a funny story how I got into it. So a good buddy of mine, um, he was just like, Hey, what, you know, what are you going to do career wise? I was like, Out, outside of football. So man, I have no idea. And I started thinking, um, when he told me the risk management school was number one in the country, I started thinking, I was like, man, number one, insurance isn't going anywhere. Um, and it's a people business. And so that, I mean, literally it, it wasn't a whole lot more thought than, than that. And so I went and got my degree. And, uh, and then as soon as I got done playing ball, I mean, 2009 is when I, you know, got into the insurance business and been doing it ever since. So right at 13 years now. So you commercialized? Yeah, yeah, commercial. So uh, I originally joined Seacrest Partners, which was headquartered in Savannah. Um, but one of my good buddies, Bartley Miller, who was one of my teammates at Georgia, uh, he and his family started an agency, um, you know, in, in Atlanta area. And then we eventually merged and and we've merged with another group, Pritchard and Jordan. And there's a bunch of former players, uh, Georgia players. You got John Nordine from basketball and Matt Stinchcomb's involved and Ryan Sewell, who was in Savannah, and Jeb Blazevich. You may remember the tight end. He, yeah. he worked with so, um, Yeah, I just got a, got a bunch of former dogs and, and, of course, got a lot of risk management grads as well, you know, coming out of school. Now, I know you commercial lines guys like to play golf. How many rounds do you get in a year? Because my brother sets the record in our country club. He's in commercial lines. Yeah, well, it's – you know, I kind of, I'm like a trend breaker here. Most people are like, hey, you're a quarterback and you're in insurance business. You got to be scratch. And I'm not. Um, <laughs> I'm probably a, a 10 or 11 and I'm kind of doing it backwards. Most people don't play at all when they first get into business and then play a lot once they really establish the book of business. I think it's a combination of having a bunch of kids and, and having a pretty heavy workload. I really don't play a whole lot. I'm playing a lot of charity events during the week. You're not going to catch me playing on the weekend, not with a bunch of kids. Right, um, right. But I, I do play in a decent amount. It's probably two, two charities a month. Um, yeah, I love especially October. October. October is my favorite month to play, and it's uh, we call it weather. Oh, man, October is the best. Best month of the year. Weather-wise in Georgia, you just can't beat it. Are you going to the game this weekend? I will be there. And so um, you'll actually see me. So they're actually honoring some of the 02 and 2012 All-SEC players uh, sometime mid-first quarter. So, um, so yes, yeah, so I should be down on the field briefly. And then um, and then I'll be with my family up in the stands watching it. So I'm, I'm fired up. I'm not missing this one for anything. Well, that was going to be my next question. You know, this wasn't – Usually you're taking kids to games like Sanford and UAB and Kent State, but you're bringing them out to the big one. Yeah, I'm at li- yeah, I'm going to bring uh, – my little one's not coming, um, but my 14-year-old, 11, and uh, I don't know how, but my 5-year-old snuck in as well. So he's he's coming, but he loves it. I mean, he he, he cheers them on as much as anybody. So I, I'm not the dad that believes they're not – they better stop. We're going to stay for this. 
So I think I saw an interview with you and JD a couple of years ago when your five-year-old would have been three and you were saying he, he was he was a handful. He was real hard-headed now. Is he, has that calmed down any or is it taking off more? Well, it's they're all a little bit of a handful um, at their own time. So, yeah, it's a lot, man. I mean, just, <laughs> even last night, you know, trick-or-treating in the whole deal dropping two of them off at different places we're taking little ones out it's it's a lot of fun though i, I love it i mean it, it, it is crazy we sleep hard at night but it's um but it is a lot of fun i know it is take it from an old empty nester like me man i, I I'm, I'm jealous of those of the, <laughs> of the time period you're you're adding your life i mean those are literally the good old days that you're in right now it's so cool yeah now, i'm i'm loving it that's awesome that's awesome all right, so give me a score prediction. I'll be honest with you. Um, I literally have no feel. I'll say um, 35, 28, and no real reason behind that. But I would say this. I feel like we're very evenly matched. Um, I think the difference is going to come down to uh, turnovers. And I think if we play a clean game, and we don't have a lot of stupid penalties, I think there's no question we win. Um, if we do like we've shown at times this year where we can get way off schedule, turn the ball over, and you know get some holding penalties now we're first and 20, uh, the thing could get away from us. And, and the same for Tennessee as well. So I, I think the team, whoever plays the cleanest um, and, and the least amount of turnovers is going to win, and, and Lord, I hope it's us. Well, your your prediction's very interesting because mine is very close to yours. I'm saying 38 to 28 dogs. So we're yeah. only three total points off. Um, and I would be just remiss if I didn't ask you, considering what just happened with the passing offense duly, if you have any special memories about him that you'd like to share with us. Well, I'll say this. Um, you know, Coach Dooley – forever grateful for he uh and miss barbara as well i mean miss barbara's just been a treat and one of the funniest personalities you'll ever meet you know but coach dooley was an ad um i guess when i first got there and right before they turned it over to damon uh evans and when you think about somebody who was just a bulldog through and through and just kind of really represented the university and did things the right way uh, i think it goes to show the kind of man and the kind of coach and the respect that his players have for him. But you look at the response. If you remember back when people were really pushing for Dooley Field, uh, it, it wasn't necessarily fans, and, and there were a lot of fans, but it was his former players that were really behind getting that done. And I think it just goes to show the kind of man that he was and the kind of leader that he uh, was of men. And then the way he ran our entire athletics program when he was an AD, I mean, we were phenomenal uh, the years that he played that role. So um, lived a great life. There's no question. Lived a long time. He's got a, uh, one of the coolest wives ever, Miss Barbara. She's awesome. And I and ex obviously know he's extremely proud of all his kids as well that have been very successful. Yeah, I mean, he is the epitome of a bulldog. He is the embodiment of, of everything University of Georgia. I mean, he's one of those people when you think about Georgia, you know, you're thinking about it's Dooley. Well, heck, another one that just passed, Charlie Trippy. You know, two guys that spent 190 years on this planet that are just ambassadors for the school. 
in the most positive way possible. And um, I, it, it, it's sad that, that he's gone, but, but at the same time, it's one of those, thank goodness it was nothing tragic, right? It was somebody who just lived a full life. Well, I think you, the way you can look at it is you look back and go, man, it was a job well done. I mean, you look at even, um, you know, to the last few weeks, I mean, he was still active and he wasn't a guy when he retired, he just sailed off into the sunset. I mean, he was extremely active within the community, was still within the university. I think he was still up at the, you know, the bookstore doing signings, you know, this fall for games. Yeah. And I know, I think he was doing some, uh, some things for Herschel Walker as well with, you know, what he's doing. Is it back? <laughs> it's back, yeah. I'm sorry. Um, so, yeah, so, I mean, what he's doing, I mean, it, he just really into, in, until the very, very end, I mean, he, yeah, he was, he was giving it all he had. So just, um, it's incredible to see he was been able to leave. I, I couldn't say it any better than that. I, I will. Um, I meant to ask you. Ryan Setzer told me to ask you. He said David Green can tell the best UGA stories of anybody I know. Is there any UGA story that you're that's out there? And you say, man, that is a funny story that maybe I haven't told that people might like to hear. Um, man, I I really don't know. I'll say this. I'll say Snetzer. Uh, was a guy, especially for all you folks down in Macon, Snetzer was one of the toughest uh, guys I've been around. Um, you know, he's gotten skinny now. I look more like the lineman. He looks more like the quarterback this day and time. But you talk about a guy that shows up that was just ready to go at all times. Snetzer was tough. I mean, Snetzer's not a guy I'd want to mess with. I'll put it to you that way, right? <laughs> and um, But as far as – but as far as stories um, – I'm trying to think of some of the ones I can tell that'll be clean and, and uh, some of the ones that maybe not. <laughs> we, uh, I will say this. So Leonard Pope, obviously one of their best tight ends, one of the greatest athletes. And I will tell you one of the best human beings on this earth. I, I love Leonard like no other. He's awesome. My senior year was his freshman year. Uh, we're going, we're getting ready to play Florida. We had not beaten them up to this point and uh, we're getting ready uh, to play these guys and the mood at practice is extremely tense. The coaches are tight. You can just feel it. Like it, it's, it's not like a normal week. Leonard's a freshman and uh, we're doing blitz pickup drill. And when we're in the middle of blitz pickup drill, the one thing everybody knows is uh, obviously the defense is blitzing, right? And so you may notice when you see the quarterback come up, I'd go up point. I'd be like, Hey, 55. Okay. That means if they both come, we're throwing hot. And I know what's coming. So does everybody else because it's it's a drill that we are working. Well, I point 55-48. They both come. Leonard's supposed to break hot, break off his round. I dump it to him. And Leonard just runs right down the field, man. He just goes. And, you know, coaches are cussing and throwing their clipboards and everything else. And, of course, I'm puzzled, like, trying to figure out, like, where do we go wrong here? And Leonard comes jogging back to the huddle, and I'm looking at him like, dude. I'm like, what's the deal? And he comes back and he just smirks and he goes, man, Green, I thought you were playing. I thought you were kidding. I was like, what? <laughs> you think I'm kidding in this moment? You know? 
And it goes figure, Mad Dog. He goes out and catches uh, three touchdown catches that game. You know, so here it is. I mean, you never know. And, and when you when he's, you know, uh, fans, we get onto these head coaches and we're like, oh, you should have done this, should have done that. I mean, Leonard was just a freshman having the time of his life at practice, thinking I'm joking around with him during the Florida week, which is a must-win game and everything else. And then he goes out there and shreds the Gators for three tugs uh, that weekend. <laughs> wow. And that makes me think of this question to ask you. So when, during games, and I'm sure this probably you know evolved over the course of your four years, you're coming up to the line with a play. How much latitude do you have to call an audible? Well, I had a lot of latitude, um, not to call just randomly my own stuff. Now, there was, there was, um, they basically say, look, hey, if they come up in this look, we don't want to run this play. So we're going to check out and go to this or this based on their, their look. And so they were things that we had worked on in practice. Uh, but all ultimately, it's like a fast paced game of chess, is what I tell people football is. And, you know, coach would call a play thinking he's going to get this. Uh, and if the, the quarterback is smart enough to kind of figure out what he's seeing, um, then they gave me enough latitude where I could make changes and uh, and get us in the right play where at least from a position standpoint, we could figure out a way to get to the right play and, and make it happen. So obviously my freshman year, I didn't have near the latitude that I had my senior year, but once I had kind of, you know, gained some trust from the coaching staff and they realized I knew what I was doing uh, or understood what I was looking at. He gave me more and more um, to work with. The more I talk to you, the more I just think of things to ask you that just pop into my head, um, which, okay, so I think that you were the first quarterback, uh, you had to have been because you were Rick's first quarterback, right? That, yep. that was the originator of the play fake where you fake the handoff and you just turn around and walk away with the ball up against your stomach and oh, yeah. throw it. So you were the first, right? I was the first at Georgia. They and used to Georgia. Yeah, they used to do it at Florida State. Chris Winkie was really good at it, and we would study his film. Um, but I tell people I was just dumb enough to to do it and, and do it okay. Well, that had to be just a just a really weird, nerve-wracking feeling. You've got your back to the defense, just walking away holding the ball. I mean, that takes, that takes grit and nerves of steel. Well, here's the thing. Um, I do know this. Defensive players – are very in, you got to you got to trust your instincts, right? And you're reading body language as much as you're reading as much as you're reading anything. Right. And so, you know, different defensive guy can't always see exactly where the ball is, but you can read a guy's body language and tell if he has the ball by how hard he's running. And and I knew that as well uh, as a quarterback. And so, when I would do some play action pass. Or when I'd act like it'd be a third one, I'd act like I hand a ball off, and I kind of really try to slump my shoulders, um, and really. Um, are you there? Yeah. So, I knew as a quarterback um, that on third and one, you're running this forty-four flatback rookie. I knew that if I really kind of slumped my shoulders and made it look like I didn't have the ball and I hit it well enough that the defensive guys thought there's no way in the world um, that I've got it. And, and so 
I really trusted that. I think the worst thing that could have happened is when you don't totally commit to it. That's when you see a quarterback get knocked in the head. Uh, I was thinking, I'm either going to pull this off really well or I'm going down in flames big time. <laughs> I mean, so it was so, a, did I hear you call it the 34 fat back Ruski? It was 44 flat back Ruski is what we called it. And we would really run it when it was like third and one or fourth and one where everything's kind of bunched in tight and everybody thinks that the tailback's going to get the ball, just try to pound it up the middle. Um, but there, I mean, it, we worked on it a lot to make sure, you know, the, the action, you could really hide the ball. Well, I'd really try to show it, show the ball, like I'm handing it off. And then when I'm, you know, and then I, you know, put it down there in my crotch where you couldn't get it. You couldn't really see it from that angle and then ultimately try to sell it by your body language. So was the first one against Vandy when you threw it to Terrence Edwards? No, the, fir the first one was Auburn my freshman year and it worked like a charm. Um, and then we ran it again in 02 against Vandy. It worked there. I don't know if we did it in 03, but we did it again in 04 against Tech, and it worked every time we did it. Yeah, I don't know if we ran it my junior season. We ran it, I know, Auburn, my freshman, Vandy, my sophomore year. Both of those scored touchdowns, and I know we ran it my senior year against Tech. No, it was my junior season against Georgia Tech, and it was like a 50-yard gain, and I don't know if we ran it my senior year. I can't remember. So, you know, when you play four years, you have a, a wide span of receivers that you get to play with. So you had yeah. T.E., Terrence Edwards, but Marlon Brown, Michael Johnson, who else? Leonard Pope. Well, it was really Reggie Brown was kind of the go-to and Fred Gibson my senior year. Um, right. My freshman year, it was Terrence Edwards, Damien Gary, um, you know, sophomore year, kind of more of the same, you know, the, the Fred, you know, Freddie Gibb, I had them all. We were same class all four years. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Brian McClendon was in there as well. If y'all remember B-Mac. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, Mario Rayleigh um, was during that time. And, um, yeah, we had some good players. I mean, there was, there, there was a lot of good athletes. It was, it was just a matter of Sean Bailey. Y'all remember Sean Bailey, too? You know, mm -hmm. shocking. And Sean had a really good connection that next year in 05. And then just had some really good tight ends. You know, the Ben Watsons, the Randy McMichaels, the Leonard Popes. I mean, we had some great tight ends. You still keep up with Ben Watson? I, you know, I haven't talked to Ben in a while. Um, great guy, great family. Um, yeah, I see him on the SEC Network, obviously, all the time. He yeah, does a great job. Oh, he does a great oh, job on SEC Network. He's fantastic. Yes, and he's solid as a rock. Great guy. Um, yeah, just a good dude all the way around. Just Mr. Community. I mean, if you read up about him and just all the things he does, like NFL, you know, humanitarian awards, he's so good on SEC Network. My worry is that somebody's going to come and take him. I don't want him to leave. <laughs> I mean, I don't want him to leave. He's so good. Yeah, you're liable to turn on, like, the news, like, <laughs> CNN, and it's like, hey, there's Ben Watson getting interviewed, you know? And, yeah, he's he's obviously extremely smart, articulate, uh, very articulate, and um, 
yeah, he's he's a great dude. He gets Stench to run for his money as far as that TV thing goes. <laughs> yeah, Stench is good too. You know, Stench is yeah. a partner. Um, you know, Stench is good enough to where he can call a game and text at the same time. Oh, wow. I mean, he's. I mean, I'll. I mean, we'll. I'll be like, dude, how about that play, Stench? And you know, he's he'll he'll respond back. And doesn't uh, miss a beat. He 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 is really good. I'll tell you when you name those receivers. One of them that I, I feel like just was unheralded was was Damian Gary. He just was a great oh. possession receiver that you could always depend on in the clutch. Yes. Third third down and six. He he was getting it. He was telling you know, he was not going to drop it. Yeah, I'll, I'll steal a quote from Pollock. Pollock would say, "You can't two hand touch Damian Gary in an elevator." <laughs> he is that quick and he had just a horrendous injury i don't know if you remember that one where he had all that they had to really just slice his leg open um to let it drain out he had a, he had some tough injuries but man he was good unbelievable slot he really was i mean again don't you feel like as far as receivers go i mean Gibson got his due, T.E. got his due, but Damian Gary, I just feel like, just kind of gets overlooked. Oh, unless yeah. you Unless you really follow it. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, no, I think there's no question. I mean, there, you know, Terrence was, was really the number one receiver back then. He would get the majority of targets. He would have been the number one. You know, Damian was a guy, when it was third and six, we were trying to find a way to get the ball to him. I mean, he mm-hmm. had – Tremendous hands, could catch anything, and um, and and he was a great special teams player as well. I mean, thinking about that Tennessee game, I think he ran back a punt in that 0-1 Hobnell boot game. I mean, and then you know we put him at tailback in that last drive at the end of the game, uh, just because nobody could guard him. Yeah, I mean, you talk about the versatility receiver, returner. You put him there at tailback. I mean, you can't you can't put a value on that. Exactly. No, exactly. Well, man, I know you've got to get to uh, some kid events, and you have been just so generous with your time. And I uh, just want to say thank you so much for carving out some time with us, man. It's been awesome. Mad Dog, appreciate you, man. Go dogs. Hopefully we pull it out on Saturday. It's going to be a fun night in Athens. Let's go step on their face with a hobnail boot again. Let's crush their face. I'm going to have to pull up my hobnail boots on Saturday. <laughs> I'm going to go buy some. <laughs> Take care, man. You too. So that is a wrap. I'd like to say no thanks to the playoff committee for screwing us. I would like to say a big thanks to Bert Hodges from Dog Bone for joining us. That's the matter. Thanks to Dr. Ryan Snetzer from Ortho, Georgia, giving us the injury report. Thanks to Buffalo and Dogger from Parts Unknown. Big thanks to David Green for coming in and sharing his time with us today. That was awesome. That's all we got, folks. All I can tell you is go to that game, be loud, and go dogs.